0: This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers, and 20
1: to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members
0: can earn on every purchase, except gift cards, services, and fees. More at macyscom slash rewards Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.
1: Live from Southern California, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Brought to you by MayorsManner.com and the Fourth Period. Introducing your host, born and raised in the city of angels, the mayor, John Hovan, And originally from the Bronx, now hailing from Encino, it's DB Dennis Bernstein. Buckle up, here we go!
2: Welcome back, DB. This is it. Episode 6, Kings of the Podcast. Here we come again with another hour-packed show.
3: Keep on keeping on, Johnny. The response has been, as we've mentioned, the first five episodes have been fantastic. Thanks to the fans, every major platform, but uh, kick it off for us, Johnny. King of Kings? Is that what we're going to start with? We're
2: going to talk King of Kings, but let me also mention that coming up in the second period today, we're going to have Jim Fox, of course, the longtime uh, television analyst uh, for the LA Kings. He also is a former player. Everybody knows Jim Fox, right? And uh, we're going to have him the, on in the second period. We have a list of questions for him. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun.
3: The great debater, Jim Fox. <laughs>
2: he does. He does get you, too. Sometimes we're having those debates down in the uh, in the press room after a game, and Foxy will just sort of slide in all of a sudden, drop a nugget on us, and sometimes we're all left just with our jaw on the floor going, yeah. man, we've been arguing for 20 minutes about this and didn't think about that one point. And then uh, Foxy sends us in another yeah. direction.
3: He's dropped a few nuggets on my head over the years. <laughs> But yeah, but a great, it'll be great. He'll be great.
2: So you did mention King of Kings here. Let's, let's get into the first period here. Uh, King of Kings. We had that going on, on uh, Mayor's Manor over the last uh, month or so. It's been a lot of fun. Over 30,000 votes. It's going to be actually probably closer to 40,000 by the time that we're all done. The fans ate this up. 32 players started out. You get it down to the Elite 8 DB. And I've been really trying to withhold my comments um, throughout the tournament, because yeah. I don't, I didn't want to sway the no. voters one way or the other.
3: And you're an influencer, John, so you definitely would have. Well, I, you know, yeah. I,
2: I just, I think that sometimes maybe, like Foxy, maybe I would have brought up a point that people hadn't thought about, and I wanted to get their pure vote, sure. right? So just look, and look.
3: it's an emotional vote as well. John, of course, it as is. you explain, it's
2: well, that's the thing, DB. It's not about stats. It's not about who is or was the best player in LA Kings history. It's about who should be the face of the franchise. Who Correct. is the man? When you yep. think LA Kings. Who is that guy? Exactly. And uh, it's created a lot of angst and a lot of debate. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it because there were four matchups that sort of narrowed things down. And so in the Elite Eight, you had Jonathan Quick versus Wayne Gretzky. Now, Quickie ultimately won. By less than uh, 10 votes, he ended up winning. And you're talking about several thousand votes that were cast across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And... Quick beats out Gretzky. Now, the longtime fans, and, and I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here because we don't have time to do a whole a whole show on this, <laughs> but longtime fans were saying that it was disrespectful to Wayne Gretzky and all that he meant and that Kings wouldn't exist and the Ducks wouldn't be here you know, without Gretzky and all that stuff. And everybody knows what he did
3: for the right. league and what he and did And that's here. why those fans voted for him. And
2: that's great. But at the same time, the Jonathan Quick fans lobbied hard saying, hey, this guy's a consmite winner, won two cups, backstopped that 2012 team. To, to uh, you know their yeah. first cup victory and Quickie ended up winning. Um, I want to hit the other three matchups and I want to get your thoughts. You also had Luke versus Blake. That that's you know uh, two of the franchise players there. Uh, they're both numbers retired, both in the Hall of Fame. You had Marcel Dion versus Dion, uh, Dion versus Dustin Brown, and you had of course uh, the modern day Luke versus Blake. You had uh, Doughty versus Kopitar. Start with Quick and ninety
3: nine.
2: Yeah. Any thoughts about which way you would have voted uh, or, or why or just anything at all about? that particular bracket? And if you don't, we can move on. Well, no.
3: With respect to Quick, his tenure here was longer. He's won championships. He's been the best player in a Stanley Cup final. So I would have to be swayed towards Jonathan Quick because of the context of what this this vote means. Mm -hmm. It's not Wayne Gretzky is the best player ever. Mm -hmm. This is not what what we're talking about. We're talking about in the context of this franchise. And I think now as we get further away from him being with the team – you're probably looking him in as a um, as an Edmonton Oiler
2: Yeah, at, agree, at this yeah. point.
3: So so I have no problem with either side. I get both sides of the argument. For me, the long lasting effect of Jonathan Quick on this uh, franchise would certainly, I think, would, would sway my vote towards Jonathan.
2: Luke versus Blake to me just comes down to personal preference. It's just like if you have the first pick in the draft, you go yeah. offense or defense. Yeah. You're talking about the all time. Leading scorer in franchise history against possibly and arguably the greatest defenseman yeah. in team history. So it's offense versus defense and Luke versus Blake. Uh, I, I can make the argument either, either way. Either way, correct? Yeah.
3: Um, I vote for the six hundred goal score. <laughs>
2: okay. Well, he went. He he won going away. Uh, Marcel Dion versus Dustin Brown. I think you're not going to be eligible to vote in this particular no. um, bracket. But I will say, <laughs> to me, I'm sorry. I understand why people vote for Dustin Brown. Uh, over Marcel Dion, and, and that's blasphemy to longtime Kings fans. Yeah. Marcel was the face of the franchise, but let's be honest, that team didn't win anything, no. and championships do mean something, and I want to get into that in a second. Eight versus 11, did you have – to me, it's just the same argument. It's offense, defense. Um, did you, do you have a thought there of Kopitar versus Dowdy? I mean, yeah, who's been, played our, together.
3: who's been on our podcast?
2: <laughs> Kopitar. Was, okay, okay, that's my vote. <laughs> so you're going with 11. Well, yep. okay, uh, and he did win. He beat out <laughs> Drew. I'm sure Drew wouldn't be happy about that. And then you had Brown versus Kopitar, which is the one that really sent, I think, fans over the edge. Yes, um, agreed. And,
3: and me. Yeah,
2: if, 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 if 8 versus 11 didn't do it, then, then 23 versus 11 <laughs> right. did it. Um, you ended up in the finals, though, and you ended up with Luke uh, versus Brown. So to me, it was the longtime face of the franchise versus what should be the new face of the franchise mm-hmm. or the new king of kings, if you will. And to me, it comes down to championships. And I really put a lot of thought into this, DB. Sure, John. And I want to try to use a baseball analogy, okay? Please. Eric Karos. Is the all-time Dodger home guy. run leader? Yes. Now he's also my guy, but I want, right. but I do want to say statistically. And it, so, if you're basing your, your opinion on stats, he is the all-time LA Dodger home run leader, Eric Karos. Okay, right. and yet, if you were to think and you were to create a team, the all-time first baseman for the L.A. Dodgers, you would go Garvey, Garvey yeah. over, and you wouldn't even think about it. You'd go Garvey over Karros. Right. And to me, it's because of the championships. I think that championships do mean something, even though right. I'm going to argue against myself in a moment when I talk about <laughs> J.R. And the, and the Hall of Fame. Sure. But then I also think about Clayton Kershaw, and I think about Sandy Koufax. Right. And while Kershaw has been phenomenal, I think if you had to pick the pitcher of the franchise. You're still going with Koufax, and you look at everything that he did.
3: Game seven and 65, I, two days I, yeah, rest. I, and, yeah. Well,
2: that and the no-hitters. I mean, yep. I, just, I don't think that you can eat for everything
3: that clay has gotta win a, Clay's got to have a ring. And even more than one ring. I don't know if he yeah. won one ring, if he still would yeah, be enough. Then it's to, a, to, it's it, a tighter it, conversation. But okay. I, agree. I, I see your point with respect to... It's not just about the stats. It's what you do with the stats when you do them. Yeah, but right. then I argue
2: against myself because I'm a longtime believer like that. that J.R., Jeremy Roenick, belongs yeah. in the Hall of Fame. To me, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. You're talking about one of the greatest players of his generation, over 500 goals, yep. third best American-born player of all time, right behind Mike Madonno and, and Chris Jelios. Um, at least top five, if you want to throw in, you know, there are other guys that people want to debate sometime. But how this guy is not in the Hall of Fame, to me, is criminal. Yeah,
3: you know, Tom, John, it's it's the context of, of, was he the most dominant player during his time? Like, Eric Lindros got in because Eric was, his career wasn't as long as JR, his numbers aren't there, but he was the dominant player in that era, and I think that's part of the reason JR is out. He was an excellent player, but he wasn't, he wasn't the guy when he played. Oh, he was sense? one of
2: the top five power no, no. forwards of that era. Yeah. He, he drove the bus in Chicago. You look at what he did in Philadelphia. He was phenomenal. I know fans in L.A. are down on him for what he did yeah, here. But if you remove but, but what you he don't, did in Los Angeles. I, I,
3: I disqualify that. That's not his, the reason he's not in the, look at,
2: the well, look at what he did with USA Hockey. He was the all-time uh, points uh, you know yeah. uh, record holder with, with USA Hockey at the World Juniors. I mean, this guy had success at the NHL yeah. level, the international level, and so on. This isn't a JR podcast. This was just to show you. <laughs> I argued with myself. Because on one hand, I get irritated when people say, "But Jr. never won a cup." Yeah, I know. If he right. won a cup, he'd, he'd already be in the Hall of Fame. Yep, but the guy should be in the Hall of Fame even though he doesn't have a cup.
3: Well, his numbers are favorite. Do they compare to the people in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. So five
2: hundred yeah. goals should be automatic. It's like five hundred home Four runs in baseball. Runs. It should be automatic. Three hundred wins for a goaltender. You yep. know, it's the same thing. Jr. should be in the Hall of Fame. But back to this whole point here. Okay. Brown versus Luke. Brown does have a cup in Los Angeles. He has two cups in Los Angeles. So to me, it was a no-brainer that 23 was the king of kings. But
3: I think, John, the big picture, it validates what you try to achieve with this tournament. Like Rightfully, those are the two guys who should have come down to the final matchup. So the fans validated your concept by mm-hmm. saying, okay, these are the two greatest players in franchise history with respect to the context of the franchise. So mm-hmm. I congratulations to the 40,000 people that voted because they did it right. Mm -hmm.
2: I agree. I agree. Um, let's talk about a couple of other things. Of course, you know, whenever you talk about Dustin Brown, you talk about the captaincy and sure. you know, all that stuff, and people remember what happened. I think there's been a lot of val- – this, to me, validates also his career. It's been phenomenal to see over the last couple of years the the, the rebuilding of, of his brand and of him as a player and the respect yep. that he gets from from people. It's, it, it is a little bit ironic. I'm going to call a spade a spade. It's a little bit ironic that all of these people now that voted for Dustin Brown in this tournament, a lot of them are the same people that were beating us up on Twitter saying oh, he's God. terrible, he's horrible, he's Contracts garbage, trade up, him. Yeah, um, yeah, all this right. stuff. And now they're all back on the 23 train. But, you know, okay, I mean, yeah, fine. happy to, fans. Happy to have you back in, in <laughs> you know, in Brownville. We're happy. Um, Kyle Clifford, he uh, interesting point. He wore an A the other night. We've been talking yeah. about how important he is to culture. He wore an A in one of the preseason games in Anaheim. And I, I was thinking uh, that it was the first time he'd worn a letter, at least, that I could remember. And, in fact, he did wear the C.
1: He wore the C
2: during a preseason game in Bakersfield a couple of years ago, which is, of course, ironic because it builds on what we talked about um, in a previous podcast about him playing in Baco when he was part of the Ontario Reign during the lockout and everything. So how special that must have been um, for him. It doesn't look like there are going to be any changes to the leadership group right now. Right, exactly. Uh, You know, so Carter still has the A and and, and that sort of stuff. Um, But uh, Todd did say there's a group of about six of them, though. And so, you know, they... There's a leadership group that extends beyond the
3: symbolic letters. As there should letters. be. As there, you just don't need three leaders on a team. This is a 23-man roster who uh, are trying to rebuild this, this team, and Todd needs the help. Todd's mm-hmm. coming in, and look, Todd has immediate respect. He's the right guy at the right time for this team, but he needs help in the room, and to have more than three people wearing letters, it's important because those people, those influencers, like Clifford, like Lewis, you need that to, to rebuild and refortify fortify the culture here.
2: Well... Building on that, uh, there was a tweet that I received the other day, and, DB, I instantly texted you because okay. I started laughing. <laughs> there was a guy on Twitter who hit me up when we uh, were talking about Blake Lazotte making the team. And let, right. let's give Blake Lazotte all due credit Absolutely, in the world. Jim. I posted 42, I think... Uh, roster projections between July 1st and, and the start of camp, or excuse me, the, uh, the start 42, of regular season. Really? I'm, I'm joking. I was oh, probably like five, <laughs> but it just felt like every week I was tweaking <laughs> it. I mean, I never had Mario Kempe in the starting lineup, I can tell you that, on the opening I. night roster. Yep. But Blake Lazada I did not have on the opening night roster, yep. and he did make it, so full credit to him. He received a lot of kudos throughout camp um, from first uh, Mike Stuthers during the yep. rookie tournament. You saw him down in Irvine with yep. me. Uh, but this guy on Twitter... Was tweeting me that Lazat is Lazat <laughs> is going to be the next captain of the L.A. Kings.
3: Um, that's a no. Joke. Okay, and, and no. then
2: the better part is Mikey
3: Anderson's laughing at that. guy.
2: Well, of course he is because <laughs> Mikey Anderson, uh, Bjornfoot, right. uh, Anderson Dolan, uh, those are some of the guys Turcotte that, that I would have an argument with anybody about. Uh, maybe we should argue with Jim Fox about that later today. Give him an
3: E for and, effort from making the team. I don't but even not know what C. I give him.
2: Oh, E for effort. Okay, yeah. I give him an A for effort too. Yeah. But um. This guy wanted to place a bet with us, so I just wanted to go on the air. Okay. Uh, he was trying to say, uh, uh, "Look, if um, if Lazat is the captain, then uh, you know you guys have to buy me tickets to a game and any game I want to go to. Mm-hmm. And if uh, it doesn't happen, then you know you guys can talk about me on the air for five minutes, or he'll come on the podcast. I, he wanted to come on and oh, let us did. laugh at him. Well, okay. we're not having him on, but we're still no. laughing at him, DB.
3: Well, John, if he wins the bet. Section 340, row 16. <laughs> the last row in the last section of the arena. I, I, That's, I'll buy him those tickets.
2: Well, you're opening yourself up now because people periodically do send me these things where the, when they want to yeah. argue on Twitter and then they want me to bet them. I don't bet fans dinners or no. game tickets. Or, no. or I mean, you're welcome to start we your own podcast. We don't have unlimited
3: resources here, John. <laughs> well, I find. mean,
2: if they want to do these, they can start their own podcast and share their opinions. Absolutely. Or feel free to tweet to their 42 followers, you know, who they're... <laughs>
3: Well, people are the greatest. Too. Well, they we are the that. best. They, they know what The ones with
2: the eggs are the, even better. Don't even have the... <laughs> they can't even take time to put a fake picture in there. Um, so I'm not betting you. Uh, whoever you no, are, sorry, sorry. But no, I'm on the record now. Blake Lazat is not the next captain. DB, you love to put odds on things. Do you want to put the odds on Blake Lazat being the next captain? I can't even say <laughs> oh. it with a straight face.
3: Are you familiar with the Vegas terminology, off the board? <laughs> yes. That pet is off the board. It's off the board. Okay. Exactly. Good. King 66 to 1 to win <laughs> <Linda>. the... <laughs> Blake Lazzara, captain, off the board. Okay, I love Blake Lazat. Good
2: for him for making the, the team. The lizard, <laughs> the lizard, yes, the, the lizard. lizard lives. <laughs> oh, DB, they're going to play this clip uh, and yeah. forever in infamy uh, exactly. if 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 Lazard is the next captain. Yes. Speaking of the captain, in all seriousness, here's an idea. Just want to float it out there and get your opinion about this. Andre Kopitar, everybody knows he's a great 200 yeah. foot player. He's been one of the the backbones of the the penalty kill over the last couple years. McClellan has talked about changing things and, and how he's going to use players differently and whatnot. What do you think about an idea of not having 11 so involved on the penalty kill, maybe saving some of that energy, you know, to be used more offensively, sort of like how Crosby has been used at times in Pittsburgh.
3: I have no problem resting that player. Um, you know, he's over 30 years old. Uh, he's drained at the end of the season playing 22, 23 minutes a night in this context of a, what probably is going to be another losing season. Um, can't help. Um, I'd like to see somebody emerge to take that role, though. Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to do it? Is it Kempe? Is it? I don't know who it could be. It's not going to be like like although he will be a captain someday, okay. John. Um, so that's the thing. Is like, who do you replace him with? Yeah, uh, that's the question. Uh, what I like to see minutes spread around more. Yeah, and maybe experiment this season. I think this should be as you know, much as Todd wants to instill. Uh, structure and new systems this should be a year of experimentation like, mm-hmm. give somebody a shot if you if you come out of the box and you're 8 and 12 and you see it's not going to happen with respect to a player front which i don't think it will experiment with different players different combinations and this is a learning experience for todd as well yeah. not just the player so i would have no problem with it if todd wanted to look at it have a different look with respect to uh, uh, utilization of kopitar but we all know kopitar is a player he wants to be there out there all the time and certainly i think maybe john in the in a second period in a 1-1 game, maybe you don't put him out there on the P.K., but if it's a third period, 10 minutes to go, the game's still in the balance. You certainly would want Kopey out there. But, yeah, I think it's a novel idea to maybe give him a, maybe a minute or two less to, uh, to ice time this season.
2: Yeah, I could absolutely see it being more of a situational type yeah, thing. Yeah, agree. Um, but to me, it would be something to uh, potentially take a look at. Now, look, DB, on the last uh, in the last episode, we, uh, we debuted the high-low segment, which, or excuse yeah. me, not the high-low. We did the goals for and goals awesome against, against, which has gone over really well. People love that. Uh, we've been ask- People have been asking for, uh, you know, who's going to get the next series. We're going to hold off on goals for and against until the season actually gets started. Right. But I want to debut a new segment. Um, we're going to do what's called jersey numerology. Hockey jerseys are a really awesome. big deal to hockey fans. Oh, yeah. People want to know. The minute a player gets traded or gets called up, and what number is he going to wear? It's like it's a really big deal in the world of hockey. I think, personally, I think it's a bigger deal in hockey than it is in other sports. Like the
3: Kings PR Twitter account tweeted out the numbers of, you know, when they, Bjorn foot and the other guys when they made the team, yeah. Yeah, so fans want to
2: know, okay? Um, and so going forward in the future, I think it'd be a fun segment if I had you just, like, pick a number, maybe a number over 20 or 25. A lot of people know the history a of A
3: nondiscreet number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You non know, nondiscreet number, So, yeah. But
2: today, I'm going to pick the number for you. Please. Uh, I'm going to go with number 33, because to me, it's a really relevant number right now. Right, uh, absolutely. You have, <laughs> have Bjornfoot, 18-year-old kid who made the opening night roster. He's slotted to play in alongside Drew Doughty. And um, 33 is, is a really impactful and important number. Let me just tell you, there are 11 players that have worn 33 in LA Kings history. Let me read this list to you real quick and, and, and ha- get your reaction on some of these guys. So Bob Godelsky was the first guy to ever wear number 33. It didn't happen until 1988, which is interesting. That
3: is very interesting. Considering John.
2: the franchise has been around since 67. Right. So Bob Godelsky was the first one. Then Chris Kantos, Marty McSorley would be the first famous 33. He wore it from 89 to 96. Now, Jan Vopat, now he's the defensive brother of Roman mm. Vopat, who was, of course, included in the Gretzky trade that happened with St. Louis. Jan wore that from 97 to 98. Little footnote, DB. Jan Vopat is a European scout for the St. Louis Blues, so Vol- wow. Jan Vopat just ended up we Man digging deep on this I'm segment. I'm you know, giving go. you some information here. <laughs> um, Yaroslav Modri wore 33 That's in right. 1999. Now, of course, Modri is an assistant coach, coach with here. the Ontario yeah. ring. Perhaps, maybe, the most famous 33 in Kings history would have been Ziggy Palfy. Of course, the Kings traded for Ziggy Palfe as they were moving into Staples Center. They wanted the big star to sell, and he wore it from 2000 to 2004. Palfe was a very famous number 33. A couple of great playoff runs as well. Agreed, Um, yep. Fuck you, Fuji, uh, or Fuka Fuji, depends how you want to say it. Uh, in 2007, he wore it.
3: Probably the most infamous <laughs> wearer of that jersey. Yes, yeah, so the
2: guy played so
3: few games,
2: but, like, everybody knows him. Yep. And, DB, back to one of our road trips, you and I were in Bakersfield yep. many years ago, and we saw a dude wearing <laughs> That's right, a we fucking did. Fuji jersey, That's right. which was amazing. Yep. Um. Okay, Jack Johnson wore 33 in 2007. Kevin Westgarth. Probably my personal favorite. I love Westy. I miss our conversations.
3: Um,
2: Just one of the nicest guys ever in in a sport full of nice guys. Of course, in 2009, he wore it. Freddie Modine, who wore it in 2010. And then, um, you know, if it's not palfy, then the most famous one would have been Willie Mitchell from 2011 to 2014. When I read that list to you... And I say, L.A. Kings thirty-three. Is there one player that you think of?
3: Yeah, I do because of his great lectures at his locker room and <laughs> in, in the locker room, the, the locker room lectures by Willie Mitchell. Yeah. I'm not sure Daryl ever loved that, but <laughs> Willie was so effusive with his with his words and was so deep and, and and just gave you everything you needed and then some with respect to his openness and his uh, transparency to the media. So uh, to me, and again, it's it's the context, and it's just this thing's going to come back as you go through the numbers about championships. And Willie was a glue guy who certainly. They wouldn't have won without him. Not that saying he's a con Smythe winner, John, but you, it was essential for a player like that to be in the room, on the ice with the team, a very effective defenseman. So I just remember that the chats with Willie that were just, like, you walked away, like, smiling and shaking your head at the same time. So for me, it's, he is a special place in Kings history for me.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think for me, he was one of the first guys that I sort of remember being of what I would call a hybrid defenseman. He wasn't that offensive-minded defenseman. He wasn't that defensive-minded defenseman. He was that hybrid guy. And the Kings have really been struggling to find somebody that can play at that level of being a hybrid D ever since then. Perhaps Jake Muzzin and or Alec Martinez might have been the best ones to fill that role. But even them, they're not really truly what Willie was in terms of that hybrid D uh, so an interesting number choice by uh, by Bjornfoot. Hopefully he wears that number for many 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 years in the in, in LA Kings uh, with the LA Kings, and, and he would perhaps become the most famous thirty three of all. This uh, DB, is as the we get last minute of play in the period. The final minute here of uh, the first period. We would be remiss if we didn't give a quick update on the briefcase. Oh really, Jeff? Sullivan. Do you have one? I, well, I don't, and that's oh. unfor- that is the update. Unfortunately, you know, thousands
3: of fans <laughs> have just got disappointed by the lack of that news, John.
2: Well, here is the deal. Is it a hiding
3: situation? Is I think, Sully, Here's the deal. Did he put it in a bank vault somewhere? I, think. He,
2: I believe that he did. Um, but the funny part is I now have people in King's management texting me and asking <laughs> if I have found out what's in the briefcase. And then, of course, there are the few jokesters that want to text me or even tell me when they see me in person that they know what's in the briefcase. Oh, really? But it reminds me of the game that you would play or your parents would when, like when you were a kid and, and like... People tell me that they know, but then when I ask them, they're like, well, I can't tell you. I can't okay. tell you. If you right. can't tell me, you don't know. You don't know? You, exactly. Because my sources tell
3: me everything.
2: Right, exactly.
3: Okay. No. That's, then that's you're not how, a source. You're just guessing. That's how we break
2: stories is that they tell us things. Exactly. And you're telling me that you I know. I know, but I can't
3: tell you. You Who can't you? tell me
2: what's in the brief. You
3: don't know what's in the brief. You briefcase. don't know for a second what's in the brief.
2: So here's the thing. Sully has been sort of absent during the preseason. I'm very curious. Back-to-back home games coming up on the yep. 12th and 13th. Of course, the Kings open on the road, but then they have the games against Nashville and the games against Vegas. Vegas, yep. I'm going to find Jeff Solomon. I'm going to lock him (laughs) in a closet if I have to. We're going to water torture. We're going to do something. (laughs) I want the answer.
3: You know, Jay, I think that he felt the heat when he talked to us at the rookie tournament in Irvine. I think he... He, he, he made alter, uh, alternate plans I think for, so. the, for the for the preseason maybe now, he's he got to be on site he's he got to be on site for the regular season
2: out is he going a different way like d- does he take a different maybe, elevator maybe now he took is there a, a vacation entrance? took a couple weeks off took hey, a hey, Blakey
3: okay. can I take two weeks off gotta re- rearrange some personal okay. things. okay and Rob was okay with it because it was flew to Switzerland got the bank vault okay. private bank private number access number so but John uh, I know you'd be on it like a dog on a bone for sure you know
2: sometimes he shows up in Ontario and I'm wondering, because the King's plane leaves <laughs> on Friday afternoon for Edmonton. Is he taking the team plane to Edmonton on Friday or is he gonna be <laughs> in Ontario for game one? Mm. I'm on the case, DB. I just wanted to let you know. I'm gonna get to the bottom of the briefcase. If case. anybody
3: can get to the bottom of the briefcase situations, John Hovind for sure.
2: That's a wrap on period one, DB. We will come back for period two with our guest, Jim Fox. Welcome back for the second period, and joining us this week uh, in the second period is none other than Jim Fox. Foxy, welcome into Kings of the Podcast, your inaugural visit.
0: Pleasure, guys. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It's great.
3: That's what I say. I mean,
0: so Jimmy, um,
3: your outlook just in general about this team, um, what should fans expect? How much patience do they have to have? What, what, when you hit the mic on Saturday night, what, what's going to be your, uh, your message to the fans?
0: Well, my message to the fans will be, and I think it started last year, is that like every player and like every coach, I'm going to take it one game at a time, which means if they win one game amongst a five-in-a-row loss and then go on another, uh, they're going to play well that game. And I would try to take each game as it happens and take them singularly and break them down that way. Of course, during the course of 82, there is there are trends And there's a continuity that develops or it breaks apart and they're not in sync, all those types of things. Having said that, I think that the expectations are the lowest they have been in a while here. That is taking information from many knowledgeable, respected hockey people around the National Hockey League. So they're trying to break it down. I believe that it will be better than last year. I don't know if it's going to be as good enough to get into a playoff spot. I would never, regardless of whether you think they're too old, past their prime. I would never doubt two-time Stanley Cup champions, and there's a few on this team. Uh, obviously, the team has changed since winning those; that's obvious. But um, there's something that that allowed them to do that, to allow them to win. And that's something I think that stay that you have. You might learn it, but it stays with you. So I'm going in with the same type of expectations. To be honest, I'm going, but I like to think. And I said this to the people that in the first, I was commissioner of the LA Kings High School Hockey League, the first year where you're going to get you know bumps in the road and you're right. going to have ups and downs and sure. there's uncertainties. I just said to everyone, you know what? You're on the ground floor. You are the first. You have a chance here to build something. And I'm looking at the Kings that way. That right. I hope we're on the ground floor of the turnover, the escalation, elevation of where the Kings are going to go from here.
2: Uh, Foxy, some people might not know this, but uh, I want to just—we like to tell stories here on Kings of the Podcast. I want to tell a story about you. People might not know this—you were the very first ever guest on Mayor's Manor. So I, I want to publicly, I privately, thank you many times, but I want to thank you
0: for that. My pleasure. Wow. And
2: uh, it's interesting to me, with this road trip coming up to Calgary and Edmonton and, and Vancouver and whatnot, that your very first ever guest spot on Mayor's Manor, we, you were doing high-low uh, uh, on this same road trip. And it was sort of weird to me about it, Jim, is that this team right now, to me, has a similar feel to that 2009-2010 sort of time period where you knew they weren't going to win right away, but when you looked out in the distance a couple of years, it, it does it have that same feel to you that, like... Yeah, this could be like I guess you were just saying that a little bit here, that this could be the ground floor of something really big that's being built in Los Angeles if people can just have some patience. I,
0: I think, in all honesty, I spend more time nowadays looking at prospects and trying to give them ceilings and where they're going to end up than I did back then. I, I wasn't really into that. I was just kind of take the players that are there, take that, what's going to happen, and we'll see what happens and go from there. But I, I do spend more time trying to think ahead trying to think about a ceiling, trying to think of how long it does take to get back to a Stanley Cup contender. How long do, does a, a group, a new group, a new core have to play together before you become a challenger for the Stanley Cup? Uh, because I, I don't... The one thing that I read, again, from knowledgeable, respected people around the NHL... is Thank you, are, Jim. Yes, Thank, you. Thank you. Is they're giving <laughs> the Kings minor leagues and prospects some very high marks right now. As a group, as that an organization. Question. So, right. so there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And I am keeping an eye on that more now than I did back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, don't know why that changes, but uh, I think I have a better grasp on what's coming in the future.
2: Tell us a little bit more about that because, uh, some, again, something that people may not know. And, and again, I thank you for it. Way back in the day, one of the things that you were kind enough to call me to the side and do one day said, hey, you said, let me show you what I do to go into a season and you had this excel spreadsheet and you literally plugged in the name of every single player on every roster throughout the league and I did it on my own you had me do the exercise and we compared notes and again I really appreciate that you taught me a lot on what you did from a prep standpoint so if you're not doing that which I don't think you are anymore ever since, kind of since the kings won the cup you've maybe moved away from that so what's the process of you said evaluating and, and putting a ceiling on things because on Mayor's Manor, you know, we, we do prospect rankings and we talk to coaches and GMs and players and everybody trying to figure out, like you said, yeah. what the ceiling is. How do you do it? You What's know what, the
0: process? What you're saying right now is probably the reason I spend more time on it because guys like you spend more time on accumulating the information. So I don't necessarily get it firsthand. Uh, and, and, and to be honest, I, at the beginning of camp, I take the Todd McClellan approach and I have every year in that I want to see the player first before I get Nelson Emerson's read on him, before I get Rob Blake, before I get anyone. I want to see him first. Uh, I don't want to be biased in what someone else told me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it happens very quickly. I can tell you that when I walked into Toyota Sports 10, 11 years ago, I walked in here and they were doing... Shoot out breakaway drills at the end of practice when I got here because it was like a multi, it was a training camp, so there was different sessions going on. And I saw Anji Kopitar on a breakaway score goal, and I just said, right away, five seconds into seeing him, I said, this guy can play. Did you do the Forsberg? Did you do the can opener? No, he <laughs> just, his hands, you know, big kid mm-hmm, with yeah. great hands, like, mm-hmm. oh, woo, that's something that's pretty slick out there. So uh, that's, and, I mean, he didn't make the team that year, I don't think. I mm-hmm. think he went back, and, but he certainly showed me. And that's what I'm seeing now from a few guys. Uh, are you holding time. back? You're not giving us names
2: here, Jimmy. Are you, you going to tell us? Who were those guys? Who did stu- you see you know, in
0: camp? I, in Kupari, I see his hands. I know he's known as a skater. but right, I'm looking right. to see, can he, you know, rebound drills. When the puck jumps to a guy and they have to react right away. Mm-hmm. You know. That's what I'm looking for, I, I, I noticed. You know, I, to be honest with you guys, Carl Grunstrom. I think for a grumbly skater, or whatever you want to call him. I haven't heard that exact quote. That's a good one, a he, grumbly skater. More <laughs> of a rumbly, like it's a rumbles. <laughs> like, <laughs> a, like a Thomas Holstrom? Well, like I compare him right now to Patrick, um, guy in uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, Hornquist. Hornquist. Yeah. So, you know, they don't get around the ice that well. we'll get to that area... And then I'm looking at hands, and I think he's got good hands. So, you know, he might not even start the season with the Kings, in the lot, but I'm just looking down yeah. the road. Uh, that's uh, – I don't even know if it begins to answer – get to the question, but – No, but it
2: did. So, so your process is – you, and I like that. You, I don't you know break down it, the
0: teams like we I used to. I used to get every guy. I used to give him a ranking. Yeah. I used to uh, – give it uh, an elevated to the number one sentiment on a team compared to the number four. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, we would come back, all th- top three defensemen, six, everyone. And then I'd have a final number after putting them all together. Mm-hmm. And I uh, 27 different calculations. And I think by the end of the season, it was very close on to how, how that team would feel. Uh, of, th- of course, big trades screw up that in the middle right. of the season. But
2: I'll, I'll tell you a little humbling thing about that, Jim, that I've never told you before. That that argument that you and I had at that time, it, you know, it, it was was mm-hmm. playful debate where you gave your scores, I gave my scores, and you heard me out and you listened to me, that was such a tremendous confidence boost for me at that point, I think, because nobody had ever actually probably said to me, this is before I met you, DB,
3: Right. Okay. <laughs> nobody had ever said That's to me, way back.
2: hey, <laughs> you, you you know what you're doing, like, you know, other than my friends, right, but... You were the first guy who actually sat and listened to what well, I had to say, and uh, you, you boost my confidence. Before
0: that, like we chatted after games and stuff, and uh, it's it's to separate passion from information is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Right? right, it's very difficult, and certainly as a broadcaster, I didn't separate it when I started, and rightly so. You just come off the ice, and you're commenting on guys that you were your teammates. Right. I think yep. the further you get away from your career, the more you're able to separate the passion from the information and then hopefully provide, hopefully provide uh, that. But no, you know, and I'm trying to bounce the ideas off you too. I'm just trying to see where it's going. Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe you can, maybe you can give me something that I wasn't thinking about. Sometimes Uh, I
2: think you're baiting me though. I think you, uh, I think you're trying to get an argument out of me.
0: Well, most people who know me (laughs) think that I (laughs) would agree. I would confirm that. (laughs) I like to say debate. Okay, debate. It is debate, yes. (laughs) There have been many press room
3: debates, John. There have been. And there's one I'm going to talk about right now. Um, There are certain players that need to emerge this season, that have been with the team for a while and just need to take it to the next level. One specifically is Adrian Kempe, and we disagree on this. I think he is a bottom six player. He's being paid as a bottom six player. I I don't see, Jimmy, the ability to go to – a level of maybe a Jeff Carter, a 25, 50, or a 30, 60 type of player. I think you still think he does. So just
0: your thoughts on this player really, as the season starts, going to be the second one center for the Kings. I will start the answer probably with it's more hope than anything right now. Okay. I think that, and you know, Todd McClellan said it plain as day the other day, practice. I look at him skate. I look at him handle the puck. I look at him shoot. I look at him pass. I look at the size. I look at the speed. Yep. There has to be more there. There right. has to be more production there. Got it. Twenty I think you can get. Okay. I think you can get twenty. And I saying that it's probably they need twenty. They from need him. twenty from that from they, that position. From that they, need position. they need twenty. And so. John, there's a steak dinner up
3: on that. There is. <laughs> there is there's absolutely. There's a steak dinner up on that. So um and medium rare? Okay, that's good. And Mastro's, strip. wherever, Arthur J's, whatever you name the place. Minimum. Okay, we'll see. So, but what Lemmings. If, so, so, Jimmy, what does he have to do to get to that level?
0: Like, is it consistency? Is it? I mean, what is it? I think what they're trying to do and how this might be an area where the fancy stats, the analytics come into it. Okay. I think they see a lot of good things, but they can't put it together. I think Todd McClellan sees him as a project, and maybe the most important project he has on this team. And I think he's going to be on him, not to knock him down, to motivate him, and to supply him with reasons why there isn't more production. And uh, the easy thing is to say on the outside, of course, you know, you're on the outside, you're not going to get to the area, right? Uh, and that's the easy way, and maybe with. Adrian, that's where it is. Now, I've seen him play a hard physical style. I remember a couple years ago, a third period in Columbus, and I went out to him after the game and said, Adrian, you came nowhere near scoring, but you controlled that period. Holding a lead. So the Kings Great. were holding a lead. So he was forward-checking. They couldn't get out. He was hitting. Now he needs more. Right. That, that He has and to And he's going to get the opportunity to, right, Jimmy? He will. Yeah. Now, I believe he can get 20. Others don't. And... Um, that's up to him to to do that. Now, he had that spurt. What was it when Jeff went down a couple of years ago and then he had like 15 goals in, in 20 yep. games and then he went Silent. 60 games without, yep. you know, a so long that's... stretch, yep. You no know, c- consistency to me is... What is
3: consistency, it's tal- What does that it, mean?
0: It's, it's two things. It's either talent or lack thereof, mm-hmm. and that's the reason you're consistent, or mentally you are not able to get yourself to a position where you can consistently let your talent show through. You're being confused by a system. You're unhappy with the way the coach is using you. You're unhappy with what your contract status is. You have personal problems off the ice. You have a sick family member that's going, sure. and you're unable to concentrate on the task at hand because the skill does come out, right? right. You, you're, you're inconsistent because we see it. And then that's where it's up to a coach, an assistant coach, a sports therapist, someone to try to get that melanin straight. And that is the biggest, you know, they're, they're inconsistent. Well, the reason they're inconsistent is they're not good enough.
2: <laughs> we, have, uh, we have two things here. We want to have some fun with you here, Jimmy. Uh, and I'm not going to ask you for the winners of the King of, of Kings uh, tournament, but I know that we had, we had some conversations about this. And I, and I, unfortunately, I'm not putting you on the spot here, Jim, but unfortunately you did lose in the first round to Matthias Nordstrom. Honour. It, it was. It, it was, was an it honor was close. to lose a, to him. It was a fifty. What a gracious loser! That's it, great. it was a coin flip battle, me? and you you did come up a little bit short in
0: the voting. I, I've come up short many times <laughs> in my life. <laughs> no, no pun intended on yes. that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: um, just uh, that was a tough first round, but there's been a lot of debates as we've come later in the tournament among fans, and it's interesting because. People feel really passionately about their favorite players, and I, I, I'm not again. I'm not asking you for winners. I just, if you have any reactions at all, though, to the to the matchups themselves, Wayne Gretzky faced off with Jonathan Quick. Quickie beat him by about, I think it was four votes. It was it was a handful of votes after a couple thousand. Uh, so ballots like three were cast. more
0: votes than Maddie beat me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might have been the same people. I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly.
2: So we need to find who they are, but. <clears throat> This is not for who was the best player in King's mm. history. This is the King of Kings, the face of the franchise, the ultimate King. And Quickie beats him. And then, on the other side of the bracket, uh, on that bracket, it was all you had: Luke versus Blake. I mean, that's that's a classic offense defense matchup. You had Marcel Dion versus Dustin Brown, basically the face of the franchise to one generation, face of the franchise to another generation. And then you had eight versus eleven. You had Dowdy versus Kopi, which is kind of like the Luke. That versus hurts. That's like Luke versus Blake of the modern era, right? Yeah, so yeah. just. When you hear those matchups, and then you hear people say, "Oh, that guy got robbed." I mean, to me, nobody got robbed. They're, they're all worthy candidates when you get to the final eight. Any, any thoughts about the tournament?:
0: First thought that comes to mind is very simple. If you've won two Stanley Cups, you get my vote. Great. OK?
2: Dustin Brown was the winner, by the way. That hasn't been okay. announced yet, but by, by the time this airs, it will be, and he was the winner. He was the King of Kings.
0: And maybe my best friend in hockey. Was Dave Taylor, and what he did for this franchise, and the similarities between Dustin's career and Dave's, sure.
3: mm-hmm. and yep, great point.
0: You know how they came up, and you know Dave had a stuttering problem when he came up. Dustin, you know, was his communication skills that they both worked on and improved. They both grew to be the captain of the team. They both were taking the captaincies away. Played a similar style, physical, yet produced points. All those things. Dustin Brown, to me, n- now, it, he he won two cups. Yeah. And during those playoffs, he was instrumental. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I hate to say it. <laughs> you know? I hope Luke doesn't hear this, by the way. And, and, well, I'm not. I, you know, I was, I yeah, was pretty Lowdy close with <laughs> Dave because we were te- I was Luke, teammates with Luke, too. But Dave and I were from the same hometown. He kind of took me under his wing when I came here. Sure. And I got to his wife, my wife, good friends, all that type of stuff. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm nowhere near personal friends with Dustin Brown because when I began to know him, I was a member of the media. So right, sure. you don't establish that. But I'm just looking and, you know, there's a lot of reasons. There's no question to me that both guys left everything on the ice at the end of every single game. But Dustin was able to raise that cup twice. By the way, Brown
2: beat Taylor in round one. Did, that was okay. a round one matchup. That's
0: that's a that's a, If I
2: remember correctly, it was it was round one or round two. Well, whoever really,
0: wins that matchup, yeah, should go on to win the whole shoot. Well, they did.
2: So Brown beat Luke in the final. So that's what happened. Luke, uh, Luke ended up beating Blake in the semis. Uh, Quickie beat uh, Gretzky, which a lot of fans were upset about that. But then Luke ended up beating Quick two cups Kirk to earn his spot in the final. Two yeah, cups and, from Quick. Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know what, Jim, is that I, I, and people are going to be upset with me saying this, the further we get away from Wayne being active in L.A., all due respect to everything he did here, and for a long time he was the face of the franchise, but it's getting to that point where more people remember him as an oiler.
0: I remember him as an oiler. Yeah, and the success
2: that he had there, and I think it's because- Four cups. And I think it's because the Kings now have their own homegrown players that had success, the Brown, the Quick, the Dowdies, and they've, they've- you know, supplanted uh, what what was done before. I agree. Again, with all due respect to the previous generation, I have a tremendous. Yeah, it's context, John, for all those players. It's that Wayne
0: The minute the Kings won the Stanley Cup, that was erased from my memory. Yeah, and great. it was a it was a you know it was a very big factor. I know Marty struggled with it. I know we've all have, and it's it's a difficult thing. And he sat right why. in this room right here, and was crying. Well, it's and I, I know how much it affected him. Yeah, yeah. but. For me, as a friend, I've been around this franchise a long time. As soon as they won the Cup, that was eliminated. I don't need to think about that anymore. Yeah. I, I, and that's that's the type of thing. Then you win it again, and <laughs> I, I agree with what you're saying. Now we st- we have to start looking at these guys as, you know, how many how many numbers are going to go up?
2: Four, I say. I say twenty-three, eleven, eight, and thirty-two. Those are the four that have to go out.
0: I, I I can't argue with you. Yeah, I cannot argue with you.
2: I won an argument with Jim Fox. No, that's monumental, Day, You, TV.
0: you know. Con- He's concurring with you. I'm going to no, win I'm going to win an that argument that with you today, too, DB. Mm. No one ever <laughs> wins an argument against me. <laughs> okay. He just supports oh, you your just claim. <laughs> and he's not arguing with you. I agreed with you. Okay. That's not an argument. You agree, we didn't <laughs> have a point of dispute. Okay. All right. <laughs> How about this? This is
2: the last thing we're going to end on today with a lot of fun. Earlier in the show today, we did a new segment, which is Jersey numerology. We broke down jersey number 33. Your jersey was number 19. There have been some pretty... Um, famous uh, or let's at least say other guys that have worn uh, infamous num- maybe uh, okay maybe i mean kevin westgarth wore number 19 Alex follow is wearing it right now um can you name jim three other guys that have worn number 19 besides yourself and the in the couple names that i picked right here
0: uh, in la in john Drews,
2: johnny Drews did that's right in 1993 that's that same year i thought you forgot about <laughs> 93 butch goring <laughs> okay. You didn't mention him. I did not. So I did that not. Counts, which which wore Sean it Avery? You? Uh, well, of all the players I was expecting, it wasn't Sean Avery. Avery <laughs> did wear it from 03 to 07. I just got yeah, three, true. didn't I? You did. got three. You nailed him. You also had Larry Robinson, Jim Thompson, uh, Jeff Chevalier. We, you're talking about prospects.
0: You see Chevy every once in a while. Do you really? Yeah. What's he, was he up over to? in Arizona. He was doing okay. off ice officiating. for uh,
2: one of the office oh, officials really? there for a while. Yeah. Well, there you go. Jeff Chevalier. I think, actually, he played for the Roadrunners, too. Oh, yeah, uh, back- that's probably you know, the roots <laughs> were established. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, Bob Corkum, Nelson or- Emerson. Yep, so Nelly a lot of guys. Sure. That we play the-
0: alumni games. Nelly and I have the same number on. Like, you're kinda- <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to throw a name at you that, Jim, you have special ties to. The guy who I consider to be, he actually was the second player to wear number 19 in L.A. history. But to me, he's the real number 19 in Los Angeles. I'm sorry. It's the guy who happened to score the first goal in uh, yeah, it for the LA Kings, your former coach.
0: Killer was Killer, 19.
2: Killer wore 19. Of course he was. Yeah, he wore it in 1968 though, not in
0: 1967. Yes, he wore 17, didn't he? Uh, that's I a
2: <laughs> that's a great question that I don't yeah. know the answer See to. You.
0: Thank you for stumping me though. Well, that's good. Uh, 19 is, uh, I mean w- Butch, you know, obviously he yeah. was there the year. I was the next player to wear it after him. Mm-hmm. And uh, why 19, Jim? Well, it was it was it was available mm-hmm. and. Butch was, you know, yeah. L.A. wasn't as popular then as it is now, and even with Marcel and then with Gretz and all that, and then with the two cups, uh, but uh, Butch was a pretty dynamic player. Yes, agreed. Was there
2: pushback? Did, did people There like wasn't,
0: you know what, but back then I don't think there was as much thought given to, I know where you're, I, I think I know where you're going. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you kind of go a couple of years without giving it, that number away. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that, wasn't ha- that didn't happen. Yeah. And I think back then there was less thought about that type of stuff. Uh, I think we ceremonialize yes. things more so now yes. sure, than we did back then. It's more available. We have uh, podcasts, we have talks like, you know, so we we have more ways to put the information out there and then I think people give deeper thought into those types of things and you know that's where I you know. I asked uh, Toby why 33, you know, cuz you know Marty wore that number and was Arguably one of the most popular kings ever. Willie Mitchell wore the number during the there Cup. He Here's he another wrote, one. Yeah, too. Uh, you know, and he just. What was said, his answer? Well, he just. I, I didn't follow <laughs> up. We were we were rating to go talk to Tom. It's <laughs> not great for the podcast. Jimmy. <laughs> it's not <Yeah>. good, <laughs> but I will follow up because I, I he answered the first part. I said, you know, was there anything special today? He said, well, he wore it in junior. Okay. So great. I said, okay, nothing special. He's no, but I'm wondering whether he wore it in junior because he idolized, you know, a, a player, a player sure, Thomas Modine, it. or if I have Thomas. Uh, Modine. Frederick Modin, He 33, didn't he? He was Swedish. I'm just trying, because when I talked to uh, Toby, he told me, you know, uh, Forsberg mm-hmm. uh, w- and Lidstrom were his idols. So uh, certainly he s- was influenced by some Hall of Fame Swedish players. But I'm going to try to see if maybe there was another player. You know, maybe it was a... Key- Someone just playing in the Swedish Elite League. Could have been something. Something that had thirty-three involved. Sure. Well, we look
2: forward to your follow-up on that one. Uh, you can report back to us when you when you come up with the answer there, Jim. We uh, we DB. We appreciate uh, Foxy. Uh, Jimmy's coming on today. been a
3: friend to me for a long time. Pleasure, He's guys. taught me so much. My pleasure. I can't pay it back, but uh, thanks for coming on. We appreciate Anytime, you guys. Love it.
2: Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. <laughs> We're back for the third period, DB, and boy, that was just uh, classic Jim Fox. What a fun time having him on the on the program. Any just key things that stick out right away uh, in our conversation yeah, with Just Foxy? a very
3: thoughtful, depthful guy who, you know, will... Look, he loves an argument like anybody else does, and he goes at us a lot of times, but just so... So smart, so so knowledgeable about this game, and and just be very frank about his approach to the season. This season, he he knows it's going to be a, a long climb for this team, and I think he's just been transparent and, and honest about what the prospects are for this season. But um, just a, a friend to us, a friend to the to Mayor's manner, and someone that we've both learned from a lot. Like I would not have the knowledge um, that I have today if not uh, sitting with Jim Fox many many nights and just listening to what he had to tell me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I and to me and you and I have talked about this privately, one of my favorite parts about going to a game is the after the game. Just sitting yeah. in the press room, you, me, our old buddy uh, Dave Joseph would sit there often with us, and then Foxy coming by, dropping a couple nuggets, Bob yeah. Miller coming by, yeah. telling a few um, jokes <laughs> and, uh, and and that sort of stuff. And, and then, you know, just the conversations that take place. Uh, you learn a lot and, and a lot of laughs um, down there as well. Let, let's transition off of Fox, and, and opening night is now upon us, D.B., um, the final roster is out there. Yeah, were there? You know, we sort of knew that there were only one or two jobs, perhaps, that were available mm-hmm. uh, to be taken. Blake Lazad, of course, did grab one at the, at the forward spot. Uh, yeah. Defensively, Bjornfoot uh, made the team. You saw guys like Clay go down. Anderson Dolan went down. Just were there any surprises to you uh, in, in the final roster decisions?
3: John, do I have to bring up that? Paul dude didn't make the roster. Okay. No, well, I don't That have wasn't to. a
2: surprise to you, though, because you were predicting that Ladue no. was going to go on waivers. Exactly.
3: No. Um, I just think Lazada over Jad would, would be the one for me because uh. you, you like to see that development. And, and look, things could change after 10 or 20 or 30 games. I think that's the one surprise. Everything else, beyond Foot making it, I, I think it became clear in the latter days of training camp that this kid was going to make it. Um, and I know that you talked to McClellan about that, um, his availability today. And, and, not that Drew campaigned for it. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. but he the kid looks so comfortable out there. So it was pretty apparent. So other than I think that that thing uh, with respect to Jad and Lazad, I think I think things came pretty clear with the there, there was clarity around the roster as we got closer to the cutdown day. What well, about give, you?
2: Let me give you a little background story on why I asked McClellan that question. And for people that don't know, I was I asked Todd uh, as they were getting ready to 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 leave for Edmonton here. I was asking um if, Dowdy had lobbied to him at all to have Bjornfoot stay rather than go back to Sweden, which right. has been the plan all along. And McClellan said, look, um, wh- he was very clear and measured in his words that Dowdy never, as yes, he said, quote-unquote, never knocked on his door and said, I want to play with Bjornfoot.' Bjornfoot needs to stay or anything like that. But right. he said he received information indirectly <laughs> through... Sources. Sources, co- assistant coaches, other people. So right. the word did get back to McClellan. But here's what I want to say. Um, I can tell you that through my sources, I have sort of found out that Doughty did do some lobbying and that he was not too happy, apparently, when he found out that Bjornfoot was scheduled to go back to Sweden mm-hmm. and wanted him to stay. And wanted right. to play with him. He just loves him as a player and really likes what's there. And so Doughty was lobbying. And I just wanted to say, I'm okay with this. To me, this is not one of those situations where, like in the NBA, where the players try to get a coach fired and stuff like that. Right. I don't think that Doughty's... No, you know, he's not undermining. He's time. not undermining anybody or doing and everybody
3: anything. everybody thinks that way
1: is
2: wrong. But that's why it's I wanted wrong. to clarify it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to put this out in a tweet because people will read between the lines and come to the wrong conclusion. So I wanted right. to sort of explain my information here on this and say... You know, Blake had mentioned to us at the beginning of the year when I asked him who he talked to a lot, he said, I talked to Brownie, I talked to Drew, and I talked to Kobe. So he might have been having some conversations um, with Blake and or indirectly making sure that the information got back to McClellan. But I just want to applaud uh, Drew for, again, this goes back to what we've been talking about, being excited about the young kids. Instead of being dismissive, being excited and saying, man, these young guys can play. That's
3: leadership, John. That is. That is leadership. Absolutely. Owning that and saying, I want these players on my team. That's what you want. You want to build players' confidence. This is an 18-year-old kid who's never been in North America before. Now he's going to be playing next to Drew Dowdy. That's what you want from your leader. So I commend Drew for doing it. And I—it it is not undermining. It's not dictating to the coach or the general manager who needs to be on the team. This is a player who identified talent. He's been on the ice with him He's like, I want this guy next to me. I think that's a great validation for the draft pick that they made at 22.
2: I think there's also some smart management going on here as well. Because, look, Drew signed to win here. And right. he, he's he been careful about, you know, his he's comments. He's been diplomatic, John. Diplomatic right? in his comments about the, the recreating of Los Angeles and what that means during the prime of his career. I think it is a good thing if you have a player that can – Appease might be the wrong word, but you know can certainly make your star defenseman happy. By you want to him show that
3: we're making the effort to rebuild this team into a championship contender. I absolutely. think it's smart all around. Agreed. I, I think, it's, I think it's it's. I think that's something a situation where everybody's aligned with each other.
2: Sure, absolutely. It's a win 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 situation. All, you know, all three parties win. Bjorn Bjornfoot's going to win.
3: You uncovered this talent at twenty two. He's produced here. He deserves to be here. Earned the spot here to have the the, the best defenseman in and the, and the foreign former Norris Trophy winner, validated for you. I think that's fantastic for the organization.
2: How about all the naysayers? Everybody, and I'm talking every single draft expert was down on the Kings for taking Bjornfoot. They loved the draft. Yeah. But they all said that it was a reach.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I've even seen comparables to them taking some of their other reaches that they've taken in the past, like right. Forbert and Hickey and some yep. other stuff. And people were really down on how high the Kings yep. were at taking Bjornfoot at 22. And now for him to be one of the four guys who's making the, the uh, NHL yep. that are under 18... 18 yeah uh, you know, Bjornfoot, everybody now, everybody's a Bjornfoot fan. So it's just funny how the the so-called experts come around so John, quickly. John, kind of like the fans, DB, in the Mer- King of Kings. <laughs> it's not just true.
3: There are other guys on this team who have texted me saying, like, this kid needs to stay with us. Yeah. So that's a great validation for for the choices that they made.
2: Look, we're all about sharing stories. And uh, here's a timely story, DB. Yeah. Um, recently, tickets have gone on sale for the outdoor game that's coming up between the Kings and the Avalanche. It'll be yeah. played in February at the Air Force Academy. You'll yeah. be there. I'll be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I want to go back to twenty. Uh, what I think it was fourteen was yes. the the game at Dodger Stadium. Yep, Kings versus Ducks. It was phenomenal. Yep. It's at Dodger Stadium, one of the iconic sold buildings, out fifty six thousand. Finn Scully's there. The whole thing, yeah. right? But how about this little story, DB? Away from I mean, the game we all know what happened. The Ducks shut them out. It was yeah. terrible uh, from a <laughs> King's perspective. But how about this? They ran out of beer. Now, I want to know, at the Stadium Series game, at, yeah. sponsored by, presented by Coors Light, <laughs> a beer company is the presenting sponsor. How do you run out of beer at a game like that?
3: Because you don't expect to have 56,000 people there? Maybe? No, they knew
2: that the game was sold out. Uh, I don't know. So, so here's here's my theory, though.
3: Because hockey fans are beer drinkers, not well, baseball. You know, here's the thing. There are too many umbrella drink drinkers <laughs> at the Dodger game. <laughs> And there's not enough beer drinkers, so the expectations on the level of beer was probably low.
2: I think it's this, DB. I think it's sort of poor planning on on a couple of fronts. Number one, I think at baseball, when you look at how beer is consumed, it's consumed sort of over the course of the game. But I think that when you're talking about a big event, like a hockey game inside of a baseball stadium, fans were arriving way early. I think they started drinking well more than an hour before the game. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think you have, let's just call it, Thirty thousand. I don't think thirty thousand fans showed up at a Dodger game before the game. No. and start drinking. We've been the Dodger 60, games, John. Sixty to ninety minutes before the game. third inning, maybe yeah. not, so, not to start the so game. When so when you're running out of beer in the first period, period? Yep. that's a problem. Yep. so sure. um, I don't know. I don't know who. I, I mean, everybody listens to the show, obviously TV, yeah, but and, I don't know who is involved in the game that's going to be played at the Air Force Academy. But do me a favor, because I don't want to hear any more tweets from fans about how they ran out of beer. Right. Whoever's involved in the Air Force Academy over should, order. Can you overorder <laughs> the beer? Because, by the way, Boulder's not that far away. Can you just, you know, get a tap going straight from, <laughs> from the, yeah. Pipeline
3: your, from Curse. Yeah, Golden, <laughs> from, wherever from, wherever Coors. Go, Golden, Colorado. Yeah,
2: actually. I've been to that. It's it's a
3: beautiful, have you ever done a beer factory I've not, tour? no, because I'm not a beer drinker. So. I've
2: always wanted to do the Sam Adams one in Boston, but I miss it every time. Really? But I have done the Coors one. Which is pretty fun, and then you get to do the beer tasting in their in their room there at the end. But it is it is really I mean you see the beer on the, the cart car, yeah. on, on the commercials, yep. and you, you know you don't think much about it. But when you go there and they're talking about science, how many cases John, right? they produce, yep, like a per minute, yep. it's absolutely it's fascinating. unbelievable. It, yeah, is, it, it is. is It's unbelievable. Um, another thing that's fresh in the news this week, DB, uh, and and you know Foxy was talking about prospects. We've been talking a lot about prospects. The college ranks. Now, college yeah. typically doesn't get the same hype that the junior players do. Agreed. Um, of course, if you follow Mayor's Manor in the prospect rankings, you know that we talk about Different college, story. Different okay. story. We talk about college. I do just want to mention that this week, the first rankings, the top 20 rankings came out of the season. They come out every week on Mondays. And um, the Kings have four prospects in the top 20. Mm-hmm. So you have Hernak, who is at St. Cloud. He's number yep. six ranked number six. Cole Holtz, who is a very underrated defenseman at Penn State and doesn't hasn't really received a lot of notoriety. He's been uh, out of the top 10 last year yep. in the Mayor's Manor rankings, for you, yep. but this kid could have a big year at Penn State. He's ranked in uh, number 13. Of course, everybody knows Turcotte. He's sure. playing for Tony Granato. You know, um, and with Cole ranked, Caulfield up uh, in uh, Up in Wisconsin. They're ranked yep. number 16. And then a name to keep an eye on, seventh round draft pick this year, but I tweeted a lot about this kid at the uh, development camp back uh, over the summer here. Uh, Andre Lee. Big, tall kid. Came over from Sweden. Played in the USHL. He's now at UMass Lowell. They're ranked number 19. Now, I don't know a lot about UMass Lowell this year. I don't know how good they're going to be. But 19, uh, keep an eye on him. They're already ranked in the top 20. I like that kid. And also, I've been talking to some of my college sources, and they're telling me, that Wisconsin being ranked 16 is way too low. low. They think that this team is going to be really, really good. Now, from what I understand, voters Mm -hmm. typically don't like the younger teams, the younger players, because they're not proven.
3: Incoming freshman. And
2: Wisconsin's had, for the last five years, they've been terrible. They've had losing seasons. But now, with all this talent coming in probably because people saw what they did at the u.s development right, program and they're right. thinking like hey if they can even accomplish half of that they're gonna be really good so keep an eye on Turcott, number 16 right now with wisconsin we'll see how far up the rankings he can go and of course let's give a shout out to arizona state as well the kings yeah. don't have any prospects there yep. but they started the year ranked number 20 yep. at asu what a phenomenal story well, E one hockey on the west yeah. coast it's,
3: it's fantastic and soon you know we talked about it when we were down in irvine down at the uh, rinks down there uh you gotta think Cal Irvine's gonna be coming in at some point, but Arizona State put a, poured a lot of money into that program. Beautiful facility, so it's great to see what uh, Western hockey and real far Western hockey uh, get some uh, get some love.
2: Yeah, so UNLV could be going D one, uh, UC Irvine could be going D one. We'll see where the money comes from to get these programs off the ground. Sure. Let's bring it back to the LA Kings. Sure. Tyler Toffoli, um, people should be reading the fourth period. You you wrote a recent column. Uh, talk about Tyler Toffoli and your article a little bit, yeah. TV, and just share some of the stats that you have. In um, some of the analysis that was done on this player,
3: yeah. So it was. I think it was a pretty transparent, honest analysis of where we stand. And it's, it's not about the big players, the redemption seasons. I, I think it was about the middle forwards, uh, with respect to Adrian Kempe. Is he? And we talked about this with Foxy. Like, is he really a placeholder to see for Turcotte or Anderson Dolan? Um, we talked about Jeff Carter, the move to wing. But I think the player. Not think. I know the player with the most at stake is Tarl Defoley He's in a contract year. Um, he wants to stay here. They haven't offered him a contract. He has underperformed the last couple of seasons. And I was reading an article about from Mike Kelly at The Point, um, NHL analyst, about uh, players who are basically need to take better quality shots. It was about shot selection. Um, and he had listed Tyler Toffoli as, in two categories as a guy who really needs to look at his shot selection. Uh, I reached out to Mike on, on the fourth period. Actually, Mike sent me his shooting chart for the last three years, five-on-five. Tyler can score inside the hash marks in front of the net. He's an exceptional scorer there, but he fails to shoot there. So is that a, a willingness for the player to go to the slot and pay the price in the middle? Or is it a coaching issue? Like, you know, John Stevens was not an offensive coach. the Desjardins is a junior's coach. Mm-hmm. Maybe Todd McClellan. And, if, and I know that the Kings have advanced stats, guys, and they look at it pretty hard. If you look at his – if you go to the fourth grade, you'll see Mike Kelly's chart. It's amazing where Tyler can score He's And I drew the analogy, he's not a three-point shooter from the NBA. He has to go into the paint and get his points there. If he can, he can get that shot because I still believe he has the release. I still think his skills have not eroded. He's still in his prime. He'll turn 28 at the end of the season. I think if he can get coached up better and – and maybe they run video with him, maybe they show him the stats, he can go in there and score goals, maybe does have the opportunity to stay in Los Angeles. I don't think he will. I think you agree with me. I think he's maybe one of the guys, when we get to the end of the season, he won't be with the team. But it's very surprising to see that this this player probably needs to be coached better, and that's part of the reason that his production hasn't been where it stands.
2: Well, salary retention would be one of the reasons why I think that he – is more likely to go than some of the other players. Like, if you look at a Jeff Carter and you look at a Jonathan Quick, who we've talked about before, those are two guys that if they were moved, number one, you probably wouldn't get the same return that you would for a performing to Foley because of the age factor. And then when you look at the contract you probably or potentially could have to retain some salary with Quick and or with uh, with Carter. Yeah. Where with Toffoli being on an expiring deal, you're not going to have to. Can so have that worry. So, right? yeah, you don't have even that. Even
3: at 4-6, you're not going to have that issue.
2: So if you were to even just put the draft picks, if you were actually to have the same deal on the table to trade Toffoli versus trading one of the other right. players, but then you add in the, the money and the cost of what it's going to be, right. they've already had to buy out Dion Phaneuf. Yeah. Who knows if they're going to have to buy out Kovalchuk next year. Right. Or, what's, or retain money with him in a deal. Yep. I think, though, that the salary retention with Quick does start to then sway the conversation more towards the potential of trading a Jack Campbell because it reminds me of the conversation back to Dustin Brown. A couple of years ago, you and I, I think I pointed this out on Kings of the Roundtable back in the day, which is why would you want to trade Dustin Brown and retain part of that salary? Because when you start to do the math of what it's going to cost you to get the replacement player on the the open market, you're better off with the devil that you know versus the devil that you don't know because it was about cap neutral, and you're yes. at that point with Jonathan Quick, you're going to be getting to that point you, you, where if you, you retain half the salary on that deal, and yeah. then what are you going to replace him with? It, it looks like Camp, uh, uh, Campbell would make more sense yeah. on and, some level.
3: And you bring up Kovalchuk as well, and I p- touched on that as well. Todd has resonated with respect to what this player ha- has to offer. He still has a skill. He still has a massive shot. He's the one-timer's power play. But, again, Todd has mentioned, like, his ability to play in the context of a team. Mm-hmm. Like, he... Kovalchuk, and you saw it in preseason, he's a rover. Right? And the structure that Todd wants to put in, you got to watch what happens in the first 20 games here. Because I still think he could be productive if given the opportunity in the right place, but he's got to be able to buy in as well. It's not a one-way street for Kovalchuk. I think that's the issue. Ilya wants to play his game um, when he wants, how he wants, and he doesn't want to have... Anybody influence that? And that Todd is coming in with structure. And you need to have structure on this team. You need to be better defensively. I'm not sure that Ilya's bought into that. I'm not sure. We'll see. So that's something that fans should look at very, very closely in the first 20 games. And that, you mentioned retaining salary that, or a buyout. I, I think that's one of the keys uh, with respect to the wingers because they do have wingers coming. Um, not, not this year. But with respect to Kovalchuk, that's what you want to see. Can he just buy into the new systems that are Todd putting in?
2: Well, when you look at Toffoli and you look at the age, and it's an advantage over uh, you know a team trading for someone like a Trevor Lewis or, or a Jeff Carter, not that they're comparable players to Tyler Toffoli, but still just talking about age and, and how it, it is better. It's in his favor versus other players. There was some stats that came out here provided by the NHL, and I tweeted it, and I know you retweeted it. and Yeah. Um, about half the players under 25, it's a little more than 40%, I believe. Yes, under 25 years old in the National Hockey League on the opening night rosters, and almost a quarter of the players are under 23 Stunning. years old.
3: Stunning, John. It
2: Stunning. really goes to show you the youth. Because you know, uh, growing up in the game historically, you would yeah. hear about look, players typically don't mature and develop till they're about 25, 25 years old, 20, defensively,
3: even older, 27,
2: and, and goaltenders, you know, same yep, thing. Exactly. And now you're looking at almost a quarter of the players are under 23. Back to Bjornfoot, I mean, you have four teenagers and one of them is him. But just what do you think about that in terms of does it speak to what we were talking about with Foxy, that when you look out two or three years, this L.A. Kings team is going to be so much younger?
3: Yeah, they are going to be much, much younger. I think the league is going to be much younger because there's no patience, John, either. It's like there's always that next wave. And the thing is, these kids are trained so well, the skills that they have. They don't have to develop their skills once they get here. They already have them. Mm-hmm. They have to mature. They have to grow physically. You have to eat better and get trained better and better in, in the in the weight room. But these kids are massively skilled. That I think that's the issue. Is that you got a kid like Cole Caulfield who's on Montreal, who you loved here possibly if the the time and place was right with respect to the draft. The kid's a finisher. He's five foot six on a good day. He's shorter than me, and I'm not tall. But the kid can finish. So I think that's what we see. I think there's just more pressure and more skill. You still need the glue guys, and Drew talked about that in, in the first day of training camp, but I, I just think that it's the way these kids come to the league. They're just far more prepared to play in a man's game this than it was five or ten years ago.
2: On the ice, the skill is there. They still have to develop their bodies. They have to become bigger Great. and thicker and and to be able to, to compete with the, you know the man strength of, of the guys in the league, but it's also learning how to be a pro. It is right. a grind. To be a professional athlete, the travel, the, the travel in hockey and basketball is so much more than compared to in baseball. Especially
3: if you're in Los Angeles, I oh. mean, if you're on the West Coast, it's, Absolutely. A, it's killer and Absolutely. different time zones you're traveling in. So yeah, I think that it's it's about acclimating to this game, the travel, just the schedule itself. These kids play what sixty games in college. They're playing eighty-two here, back-to-back nights. You're getting pounded on. You're playing going to Philadelphia one night. You're facing you know uh, Claude Giroux the next night. You're going facing Sid Crosby. That is a grind. So just getting uh, accustomed to what, it, like you said, what it means to be a pro. And what it takes physically and mentally, the approach to the game, is very, very different than what they're used to coming in. So that's the one a huge adjustment, these 18-year-olds. And even these younger players who are under 23 have to adjust to.
2: Well, in another article that was up on the fourth period, uh, people should go check out that website. It's yeah. not all about plugging Mayor's Manor. We can plug, plug TFP as well.
3: It's a co-production, John.
2: Uh, thank you. There were... Um, there were seven of us uh, so-called experts, as I tweeted out, that yes. put together our list <laughs> of so cool. who we thought was or who we think is going to win the divisions and make it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yep. We predicted the NHL awards, um, which team is going to finish last. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I predicted that Tampa Bay is going to come out of the east, Dallas is going to come out of the west. What did you have in the article? Um,
3: uh, Vegas, I love. Uh, top to bottom, I think the depth there. I think having a full year of of Mark Stone is going to help them as well. If Flower, take, uh, it stays healthy, and Ned's going to be great. My sleeper is Florida. I know Tampa's the odds-on favorite. I know they're the most talented team. But, John, there is so much pressure on this team to win. right? And when they faced adversity last year in the playoffs, they got punched in the nose, and they got knocked down. They never got up. Against Columbus, So I have my concerns about them. Like, it, that's about how is John Cooper going to coach his team the last 20 games of the season? How is he going to load manage? Like, what's he going to do with his team? Because I'm not sure they have the emotional makeup. Maybe they need to add some veterans at the deadline to help them, the glue guys, that guys like a David Perron or a guy like Carl Gunnison that helped the Blues win a championship. Maybe adding a Kirk helps, having Ryan McDonough there might help. But I just think there's just so much pressure on this team. If they had any adversity, I think you could see a repeat performance. So I I don't like Tampa to win at all.
2: Okay. Uh, And then, of course, the team finishing at the bottom, (laughs) I had Ottawa. And I have to tell you, I struggled because I had two or three teams potentially to finish. Unfortunately, Ottawa just... They they, beg, they practically beg you to place them there when you look at just the – we the watched it. them
3: opening night, yeah. <laughs> when you look at the, Well, we had to, to turn
2: f- the, the votes in before yeah, opening exactly, night, but yeah. they didn't help their cause. No. Um, I think Rick Tockett is the coach of the year. I think that he's going to do a phenomenal job in yep. Arizona. But uh, who did you pick for the team to finish with the worst record in the NHL? Oh, it's
3: funny you mention that, John, because I was on the air in Buffalo today. And I watched, when I look at the team things that the other division teams in the division, like Philadelphia added AV, the Rangers got a lot better with Kako and Panarin. Uh, the Devils added Jack Hughes and, and, and P.K. Subban. And you get a healthy uh, Taylor Hall if they don't trade him. So I picked the Buffalo Sabres to come in last because I just, I don't like the coach, unfortunately. They don't have a goaltender. They have no depth scoring. And I'm not sure they have a good leadership group in there. I think Jack... Eichel runs the show there, but I'm not sure who all the other leaders in the room. So, I think they're going to regress. And look, I think Ottawa probably is the bottom guy, but I want to be a little bit contrarian. So, I picked the Buffalo Sabres as the worst team in the league this year.
2: You know who I was debating with, they, uh, and I gave heavy consideration, and almost sent in the Oilers. Really? I think the Oilers could be the worst team in hockey this year.
3: Really, I, I just well, you look at their wings. I mean, you've got Ny- uh, Nygaard up there. You've got uh, you still got Zach Cassian as a top six f- winger. Can't work. Now, it's going to take time, and Kenny Holland's been patient. But, um,
2: yeah. The thing there, you, mean, you mentioned not liking the coach in Buffalo. It's actually the coach in Edmonton that convinced me not to
3: pick them as the last-place team because I like the coach. Like okay. Without
2: that coach, I, I might take Edmonton. And Again, just to give something depth different. depth is woeful. Yeah. Everybody's going to say Ottawa. It's too yeah, easy. Yeah, it's too easy. That's so, exactly. Yeah. you know, in my mind, it was it was Edmonton that was the other team. So, uh, interesting. Of course, I think you and I are on the same page on this, DB. Correct me if you, if you feel differently, but – we really hate
3: predictions. Oh because, yeah, <laughs> I mean, because people tweet them in April. Right, exactly. Well,
2: that's the thing is, to me, I don't think that you can accurately predict the Stanley Cup and who's gonna win. You know, going, in, going into day one. No, no, I want to see the team. Jim Fox yeah. talked about this earlier, about seeing players. I yep. want to see the teams. Yep. Like, I don't care what the teams look like on paper. Yep. I want to see how Tampa responds to yep. what happened last year. Absolutely. I want to see how slow the Blues come out with their with their I hangover. want to see Dallas
3: with Joe Pavelski. I want to see the rebuilt Perry. Dallas Stars. What's yep. going on with them there? Like, Agreed. I
2: want to see these teams. Get us to
3: the game 83 then give us F- well, a game
2: 20, like okay. ask me in December, maybe right. like, you know, give me past Thanksgiving.
3: People um, love predictions, John, you know, they that. Do. <laughs> so we give them and then people predictions, to... polls, Look, they were wrong. Stuff.
2: The minute that we put the predictions <laughs> out on paper, uh, DB, let's wrap up. Phenomenal show here today. We have to give yeah. honorable mention to Christian root. Of course. Absolutely. Uh, Your guy. Yeah. And you know, roots, um, He follows along. I think that he follows me more for my concert information than he does Mm -hmm. for my hockey information. Well, that's good. And uh, Uh he was quick to to point out the other night I was at Greta Van Fleet down in uh, uh, Irvine behind the Orange Curtain. And uh, Ruto tweeted that uh, it was a great band. They rock. He, you know, he, he loved Greta Van Fleet. And, you know, that's just such a polarizing uh, band. So many people are down on them because of the comparisons to Led Zeppelin. Right. To me, I it, it's a lot like players. I don't like – we have to sometimes give players comparables. You
3: need people, context, John. People
2: ask, they're like, right. who, who does this prospect compare to? It's terrible to say he compares yeah. to Ryan Getzloff or whoever right. because right. – what, in a, what a terrible amount of pressure to put on a young sure. player. Just let the player be the player. To me, right. it's the same thing with the band. Mm-hmm. I don't like and enjoy that band because they're the second coming of Led Zeppelin. Sure. I just like them because I think they're an interesting band to go and they're a fun band to watch. And they're such young kids that I like watching them. Sure. It doesn't mean that I think they're Led Zeppelin. Right. Um, and so just let the band be the band. And Agreed. And Let them you, stand
3: on their own merits. Meritocracy, John. If I you
2: just it. listen to their music, I think that they're pretty enjoyable. They're not my favorite band. I'd rather go see Social Media. But they're media on Mayor's list.
3: They're on your list, bro. I know. They were in
2: town. I went to go see them. That's validation. Um, when you go see the Backstreet Boys, on their, exactly. I'm not going. <laughs>
3: Okay. okay, you might get video of that. but
2: <laughs> Thank you very much, DB. Phenomenal episode, and uh, as you always say, thank you to all of the listeners and everybody yep. out there who's helped push this thing along with Episode 6 in the books now. We, uh, we look forward to Episode 7. Yeah,
3: onward to Edmonton on Saturday. We'll see you soon.